<laughs> well, thank you, Linda. That was pretty good for impromptu. <laughs> so it's like, I think you were waiting for that uh, opportunity. Well, Linda talked about the power of God's Word, and, and if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we're just going to look at five verses, but we're going to look at more of that, more than that uh, today. But the, let me, let's just concentrate on these five for the moment, uh, starting with verse 28, which many, many of you have memorized. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he, whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spear his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Amen. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this opportunity now to look into your word and be strengthened by your word. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would just make your presence known today. Um, let us hear what God wants to tell us uh, through uh, this word. And I pray that uh, we would be open and not only open, but we would be um, responsive to the word by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, biblical theologians all agree, not only uh, was this letter written by the Apostle Paul, but it's, it's written in such a way where it, the key words and the terms are actually the legal jargon of that day. So it's written almost in a legal, like, like a legal document. And at the risk of being redundant, it's as if the Apostle Paul himself is a lawyer defending the gospel and exposing the guilty party, the, the, the wrongful portrayal of the, of what we would call the good news. And it has nothing to do with the works of the law. And so what's so amazing about this letter to the Roman church is it's written to a variety of people that would hear it. And, uh, there was the guilty party, uh, you know, those who were trying, the Judaizers who were trying to attach the true gospel, uh, to uh, circumcision, other works of the law that they were saying was mandatory in order to be a believer. And, uh, and then you had those others listening who simply accepted the gospel as was preached by the Apostle Paul. And they were the wonderful beneficiaries of, of the verdict that we're going to come to uh, today in this text. But Paul obviously wants people to read this letter and he wants them to come to a certain conclusion. So he's, he's formulating this argument and he has been for some time. And, and it's a build up to chapter eight. And I told you my love and my passion for chapter eight. And many of you likewise have a wonderful passion for Romans chapter eight. And it's because everything leads up to this. Uh, this point, and in this point, and, and in this uh, chapter, 
there's a revelation towards the end where we have to come to a conclusion. He says, you know, what's the verdict on this? What do you, what do you think about that? And, and again, at the risk of being redundant, I know just a couple of weeks ago, uh, we, uh, over, looked at kind of an overview of Romans, but just very quickly, chapter one, people are without an excuse and it's evident that there's one true God and that's evident from the creation all around us. Uh, in chapter two, we do not need, uh, excuse me, we do not reach God through the law. Chapter three tells us that we're all in the same boat. None are righteous, not even one, right? We are all sinners. And then chapter four, it's, it's through faith, not works, that we are rescued out of that uh, bondage. And he, we look at uh, Abraham as an example and, and the apostle Paul talks about Abraham's faith. In chapter 5, uh, we, we, it's revealed to us that death came through Adam, but new life came through Jesus, and that is just God's grace. Chapter 6, you know, that famous question, what should we do then? Should we continue in sin and let God's grace continue to abound? And he says, Meganointa, may it never be, uh, almost cursing uh, that thought, uh, saying we should... There's no way we should stay in sin. It doesn't make sense. We're baptized anew in Christ. And then that leads to chapter 7, which is like, if all that's true, then why do I still struggle with with sin? For the good that I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am, you know, towards the end of chapter 7. And it, and it breaks forth into an act, a proclamation that it's only through Jesus Christ that there's any hope at all. But the Apostle Paul doesn't leave him there. He wants to lead him. Like we're, we can't then pick this up and then live the Christian life in our own strength. And that's Romans chapter 7. It's, it's not us. But chapter 7 also, there's a revelation of all the benefits that we have in Christ. And so it leads to this one question. And I've read that uh, just a moment ago in Romans chapter 8, 31. What then shall we say in response to all of this? And if he was doing this with a Jewish audience, they might be a little confused at this point. And he wants to bring it home. And he says, so, you know, because you have that individual that's sitting there saying, I don't, I don't know what to think. I don't know how to respond. I want to honor the law as a Jew, but I also want to have faith in Christ. I want to stop sinning and start doing it with which right, but I just can't seem to do that. I'm hearing now about the Holy Spirit and the transformative work that He wants to perform in me, and I'm not sure what to believe. And the Apostle Paul says, that's good. I got you right where I want you. <laughs> that's okay. Let, let me tell you. And, and just like a lawyer, uh, with his closing arguments... It just encapsulates everything in chapter 8. And he's just saying, well, let's go over the benefits and see what you believe at the end. And I'm going to use that uh, one phrase, you know, uh, over and over again. Basically, what's your verdict? And uh, what shall we then, uh, what then shall we say in response to all this? But the, you have to appreciate the passion that the Apostle Paul has for his people. He, he loves them. He's actually heartbroken that they're at this place. In fact, we're not going to read chapter 9 today, but let's just peek at it for a moment, uh, the first four verses, because he penned this 
and genuine love for His people. I speak the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow, unceasing anguish in my heart, for I could wish myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Did you hear the passion that he has for his people saying, I would give up my eternal life if just you would understand, if you would come to faith in Christ. You don't know what you're missing as if it were possible. And I think of that and I think, oh, if we at Oak Hill, if, if we would have this kind of love for people, this kind of passion for individuals. And so God's Word, as always, it transcends time. It's living and active and it is for us and it, it is relevant for us who are sitting here and for those who listened last night, those who listen online, God's Word is relevant. And I want to plead with the Apostle Paul, and I want to ask the question, what's your verdict? Where are you in relation to Christ? You've been given all of this. What's your response to all that God has given you? And listen as I recap what the Apostle Paul has given us so far in chapter 8. So much of this will be review, but it's leading to an end, uh, a, a conclusion, if you would. Because it's my hope that this morning that you will embrace all that God has for you as a child of God and, and kind of keeping this as a, a thesis. After receiving so many blessings, and there are many through Jesus Christ, we can only come to one conclusion, I believe. And that is, if God is for us, who or what can be against us? And so the Apostle Paul poses this, that question almost over and over again that we find in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to all of this? And so let's do the quick review. Let's see what he's talking about. When he's saying all of this, what is he talking about? He's talking about all the preceding uh, paragraphs that lead up to this and sentences. And so, doing a quick review, we started this chapter with this statement. Again, many of you know this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, in Christ, first of all, we are no longer condemned by the law. And that kind of looks light on the surface, but it is deep. Trust me. Because the condemnation of the law would send us to hell. Instead of us walking around steeped in guilt, we know that Jesus paid the price. And now, we no longer fear death because that, that punishment, that eternal punishment is, is taken, taken away by the grace of God, by Jesus shedding His blood on the cross. And so we are free to live the abundant life in Christ now. We don't walk around guilt-laden. And so the Apostle Paul says, what then shall we say in response to this? But, but he said, don't answer yet. Verse 9. Well, by the way, what does it mean? Instead of application, I have 
What this means to us is change it up a little bit. This changes the way we live because we are free people living among those who are sentenced to death. And so we go out into the world, there should be something different about our attitude, right? There should be something about our expressions and how we go about people. How are you doing today? I'm really thankful. I'm really grateful. I'm just, i just so happy that the Lord has provided or has guided or has given me this peace. Well, didn't your spouse just pass away or didn't your, th- you know, they, they know what's going on in your life. Like what, how can you have, and that's an opportunity for us. Uh, to share with them that new life that we have in Christ. And so what shall we say in response to this? Well, he says, wait, let's look at verse 9. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And so here's another benefit. In Christ, we are no longer controlled by sin, or, or in bondage to sin. Instead, we're motivated by the Holy Spirit to do what we do. So instead of compulsively doing the same wrongful behavior day in and day out, we desire to do what's right. How is that possible? Well, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so, what does this mean? This means we are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. And so, the weight of living the Christian life, because you know, it's not hard to live the Christian life, it's impossible. And so, the only way for us to live the Christian life is by letting God the Holy Spirit live out His life through us. What a blessing. We just have to take a breath and say, just do your thing through me today. Don't allow me to get in your way. (laughs) Use me in such a way that would honor you. And that is a blessing. And and the Apostle Paul says, right? He says, so? What do you think about that? How do you respond to this? But wait, don't answer yet. I got another one, he says, in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry out, Abba, Father. Isn't that beautiful? And so we who are believers are no no longer controlled by fear. You know, fear has you do a whole host of wrongful behaviors. Our bodies don't like fear, and so we try to please ourselves, and we try to cover and mask the fear that we're going through. But we're no longer controlled by fear because uh, we have a heavenly Father. Instead of instead, we are empowered by the spirit of sonship, it says. We are adopted. And so what does this mean for us? We no longer have to be nervous about the future. And all of those compulsive behaviors, what compulsive behaviors are you talking about, Pastor? I'm talking about overeating, getting drunk, doing drugs, nervous shopping, do whatever... You want to mask the fear that you, that you feel you're going through. All of those things can cease now. That's a, that's a remarkable, um, benefit, isn't it? And, and the Apostle Paul says, so what do you think about that? How do you respond to this? But don't answer yet. Let's look at that verse again. What else is true about that verse? We have a Heavenly Father that we call in the Aramaic, Daddy, Abba. It's a very intimate name of God that we go to and we say, Lord, you are uh, our Father. 
and You love us and we love You as our Father. And so, what does this mean for us? It means that we get our self-worth from Christ and not from the old self uh, like Satan is whispering into our ear. And so, we're no longer controlled by the father of lies. We have a heavenly father. Because unless you have God as your father, your father is the father of lies, just like Jesus told the Jews. And they took exception to that when he said it. Um, you know, he said, You're, you lie just like your dad. Your dad was always a liar from the beginning. And that was kind of insulting to them. Um, and, uh, and so we don't have the father of lies any longer. We have the truth being told to us that we have, uh, we have worth because God is our father. And he says, so what shall we say in response to this? But wait, I got more. He says, let's, let's, let's look at, uh, verse 19. The creation. Everything that God created that's sitting out there in these windows this morning on this beautiful day, all of creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And so, uh, fifthly, in Christ, we recognize that creation is no longer without hope. In fact, creation groans, Scripture says, restlessly in anticipation for Christ's return. Creation itself anticipates being released from bondage and, the, and looking for the revelation of the sons of God. Who is that? That's us. And so wh- what does that mean? It means um, one day all things will be restored the way God intended. And we will see literally with our eyes a new heaven and a new earth. That day will come. That's not like, I hope that comes someday. That's going to come. And we're going to be able to see that. And that's a benefit of being a believer on that day. And he says, what then shall we say in regard to that? He says, but don't answer yet. I have another one. Verse 23. Not only, not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of the sons. And I love this, the, the, this final phrase. The redemption of our bodies. <laughs> and so, as believers, we will no longer be stuck in these mortal bodies. Don't you love that? Aren't you longing for that? I think the older you get, the more you're longing for it. But 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote this also by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When the perishable has been clothed with imperishable, just like Edna Hardy experienced last week. She went from perishable to imperishable. She went from mortal to immortality. Just like we're going to go through that process. Then the saying, he says, that is written comes true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. And then he taunts death. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Huh? Where's it at? Is this all, is that all you got? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Well, we know the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God. 
He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm waiting for that immortal body. No pain, no sin, no limitations, no suffering, and no fat. <laughs> with, those, with these new bodies, by the way, we can stand in the presence of God and not be disintegrated. Just to, just to glory in our Lord and be in His presence. And these bodies, they would just evaporate or something. But what does it mean for us? Well, this gives us hope that supersedes this life. Isn't that wonderful? A hope that goes beyond here. Someday, if I'm wasting away in a corner room of some nursing home, there's still going to be a glimmer of light in my eye because this body is going to be redeemed. And I can live with a sense of joy even in the midst of pain. And the Apostle Paul says, this is for you. This is what's going to happen. You're going to go from mortal to immortality. What do you think about that? What shall we say in response to this? He said, well, don't answer that. I got another one. Verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words can't express. He said, you know what another benefit is? In Christ, we pray with power. We pray with power because we pray in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what does that mean for us? It means that prayer takes on a whole new meaning, a new dimension. Our most feeble prayers are now carried to God the Father by the Holy Spirit, and He is praying for what we truly need according to God's will. Isn't that beautiful? We go to, go to prayer and we say, Lord, I'm not really sure how to pray about this. Here's the situation. We, we're explaining to God, like all these details, but I think if this worked out in a Holy Spirit, and if you're genuine and if you are sincere in prayer, and you let yourself be quiet for a moment, you say, Holy Spirit, I don't, I don't really know how to pray. That's the truth. When you reach that point in prayer, that's a beautiful prayer, by the way. I, I, I don't know. But, but I'm seeking you. The Holy Spirit knows. He says, let me send this up for you. <laughs> in words too deep. You would never understand the complexity of, uh, of this prayer, but that's okay. Your heart is right, and I want to lift this to the Father. And he goes to the Father, and it says the Father who sees the will uh, and, and searches the Spirit. He, he, it's, a, it's beautiful because God the Father then answers that prayer. And instead of us having to pray, um, you know, we get to pray. And, and that, that is, to me, that's too awesome. The, the kind of prayers that I grew up with, I didn't understand prayer. You know, I, I thought prayer was reading. I had all these little holy cards and with little things written on the back and people gave them to me. They said, Dan, if you pray this for seven days straight, uh, you know, it's almost like, and you cross your fingers, you know, it might happen or you, 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 you pray this for a month. And I had all these relics and scapulas and things that I would read and read and read. I had some things in Latin. I didn't even know what I was saying. And I, and well, by the time I went to college and I came to faith in Christ, I, just fellow believers, fellow students just came to me and said, you know, prayer is just sharing your heart with God, just simply communicating with God the Father and then sitting quietly, letting Him speak to your heart. And just, I was like, no cards, no, nah, just, you can leave those in the dormitory. You just, we just pray. We just come to the Father. 
That's a whole new meaning to me. That's a whole new revelation. That was just wonderful. And so, what do you think? What, what shall we say in response to this? And he said, I got, hold on. Let me just share one more. And many of you have this one memorized, I know. Maybe not in this version, but you have a version of your own that you have as memorized. And that is, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. And so, we are no longer without a plan. <laughs> Everything that we're going through, there's, there is a purpose. God has a purpose for us, and we know that He has a purpose for us. We don't always know the purpose. But we do know He wants us to be conformed into the image, into the likeness of His Son, Jesus. And so He uses any and everything in our lives to bring this to pass. And you can be assured that everything that happens to you will be used by God for His purpose. Because we're not here by chance. We are not byproducts of some accidental, biological, primordial soup. We are God's creation. We are made in His image with a purpose bigger than life itself. We are created by God to know God and have fellowship with Him and with those who know God. What does this mean? It means in our most difficult days, in the most difficult of situations, we can still be strong, remaining confident and assured that God will use it for His good and for our good. And I say that for our good because He's helping us to be conformed into the image, even though we don't like many times what we're going through. And I also say for His good because He's fulfilling His plan. He is glorified. My uh, son-in-law just lost his dad just a couple months ago, Harold. And Harold had a saying that reassured Brandon over and over again. When Brandon was lost or Brandon was confused about something in life, he would just say, God has a plan. God has a plan. In fact, my, my daughter and my, my son-in-law, they wear t-shirts and it says God has a plan. And you might have seen them at the, when they were at the picnic before they put their picnic t-shirts on, they had this, these things. God has a plan. Because He does. He has a plan for us. And so there you have it, men and women. The question is, what then shall we say in response to this? And I have to ask, what is your verdict? What do you say? Here is what you have in Christ. You can almost hear the Apostle Paul as he's scribing these things in the chains that are on his, on his arms and on his feet, kind of wrangling a little bit as he's, as he's sharing it. And he says, do you have a response to these things? You're no longer controlled by the condemnation of the law. You're no longer controlled by sin. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. You're no longer controlled by fear. You're no longer controlled by the Father of lies. You have a heavenly Father. All of creation is no longer without hope. Soon, we will no longer be stuck in these mortal bodies of ours. Our, our prayers are no longer without power. We are no longer without a plan. I rest my case. What is your verdict? What then shall we say in response to this? 
I say when God wants to do something, He does it big. He does it in such a way that there's no denying it's Him. So let me ask you this morning, are you shaken? Are you shaken by sin? Are you shaken by an enemy? Are you shaken by financial woes? Are you, re- are you shaken by some relationship? Are you shaken by the events in this world? Pipeline shutting down, Israel being bombed. Are you shaken by the unseen future? Are you shaken by Satan, the father of lies? Are you shaken by some illness that you just discovered you had? Well, this second part of the verse just leaps out at me. And I'm sure it leaps out at you. If God is for us, who can be against us? And that is our first response. That's our response to all this. If God's for us, who can be against us? And that's a wonderful response. So it doesn't matter if there are a million people on on one side against you and you are over here by yourself because you're never by yourself. (laughs) You're a child of God and you got the Heavenly Father, and He has His arm around you, and you will win. I want to be on that tug of war. (laughs) Okay, Dad, you pull. Secondly, we come across this, this verse 32, so beautiful. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Isn't that beautiful? And so I have to ask, is there anything that you need that God will not give you? And I'm talking about truly need. I'm not just talking about your wish list. I'm talking about what you need. And I'm not being facetious here by saying that. What is it, child of God, that you need? What is it? Tell it to God. Pray in the Spirit. Lord, I think I need this, but Holy Spirit, would you live up to, lift up the true need here? Because God will not hold back from you what you need. And so let me ask you one final time. time. What do you say in response to all of this? Are you ready to trust Him? Are you ready to follow Him? We need to respond. He's, he is waiting You cannot remain silent or apathetic. And so this morning, whether you're here this morning or you're listening to this online, if you want these benefits and you don't have a relationship with Christ, I would say uh, stop the tape, stop the recording, and, and get on your knees and simply say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I repent of my sins. I am sorry for my sins. And I accept what you have given me. You you died in my place. You shed your blood so that I could have eternal life. And I, I just want to accept that right now. I accept that truth. And if you do that right now, the Lord Jesus, he will forgive you the Holy Spirit will come into you and empower you to live a completely different life. He has a plan for you. He loves you. And He wants you to do so. And all of the things that I listed here that are listed here in God's Word, He has for you and more. 
If you're a believer and you are here today or you're listening online, I would say maybe you forgot what God has for you. And you want to go back down through that list and just amen each one of them. Ah, so glad that you're my father. I'm so glad you have a plan for me. I'm so glad that uh, this mortal body will cease and I will one day have an immortal body and be with you forever and ever and ever. Help me to live differently. May my attitude change from here on in. Use me to draw others to yourself. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.